Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's our second post-game edition of the show here in the 2023 season, and we're here to talk about a 63-7 victory for the number seven Nittany Lions over the Delaware Blue Hens. It was a matchup in which Penn State scored the final 49 unanswered points to put this thing away well before the final zeros, and Daniel Gallen and I are fresh out of Beaver Stadium to talk about this 2-0 Nittany Lions team. Daniel has some content up at the site, as do I. There'll be a lot more going into the night from Mark Brennan and each of us through Sunday, breaking down this 2-0 start. But Daniel, uh, we all predicted big-time blowouts. Penn State actually exceeded our margins. I said 49 points. Uh, they won this game by 56. Yeah, I had it by 38 points. Uh, so I was way off uh, by the you know by the way that you look at this when when the dust settled. But you know, I I think the thing that stood out to me is, and I, I posted this on Twitter a little bit after the game, is that. Penn State looked like what you expect a, a top 10 team, a Big Ten contender, a potential college football playoff contender. They looked like what that type of team is supposed to look like against an FCS team, even if that FCS team is one of the you know more solid programs at that level. Um, you know, Penn State just went out, took care of business. You know, they kind of hit on all the key points that I think we outlined uh, before the game in terms of what they could accomplish and what they needed to accomplish. And the end result of that was a very, very impressive win uh, on the stat sheet and on the scoreboard. Yeah, this is one that was 14 nothing Penn State, and then you had a little bit moment of adversity there. Uh, Delaware had a 66-yard touchdown run, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But overall, Delaware ran another 40 offensive plays on the day, Daniel. One of them, obviously, a 66-yard run. Uh, Touchdown, it, it put the blemish on the scoreboard. It was the blemish for the defense. The other 40 offensive plays collectively produced 74 total yards for the Blue Hens. So uh, pretty remarkable when you think about the dominance here. I mean, the, the stat sheet reflects it well. 541 total yards to 140 for Delaware. They had fewer than 60 yards through the air on the day. Penn State had over 300 yards rushing. Drew Aller uh, in about two quarters and, and maybe a half of another quarter of action. 22 of 26 passing, 204 yards, one touchdown. He also rushed for a touchdown. And on the day, seven different Nittany Lions reaching the end zone one way or another against the Blue Hens in a 63-7 win. And another aspect of this game, as we talked about coming into it, as we'll discuss coming out of it, was getting to go way down your roster and getting a peek at some of those younger components, maybe some veterans who for one reason or another haven't been able to accrue a lot of game reps to this point in their career. And then maybe most of them are talking about a team that wants to be playing Indianapolis on that first Saturday in December, getting guys like Olu Fashionu, someone who has bumps and bruises like Hunter Norzad, to the sideline and making them rested and comfortable before you got to go play a Big Ten football squad next Saturday. Yeah, it's going to be really fun reading your snap counts piece uh, on on Monday, and uh, I'm I'm sure you're going to have some fun, you know, going through and and trying to confirm and and cross check some stuff there. I know Penn State put together a a really deep participation report, and that's what we wanted to see. We didn't want it to be a thing where the game's in doubt in the third quarter, and you know you have to see Drew Aller come back out for another series that you're not. You know, it feels like one too many. You don't want to see the first team defense have to maybe even come back onto the field, um, you know, if things get hairy. So, I, you know, Penn State, you know, took care of business. You know, we talked about it from the scoreboard perspective, but in terms of getting these guys uh, experience, I'm sure we'll talk about the offensive line, but 
just the fact that every single series, it seemed like they were putting a different combination out there. Um, you saw we saw a lot of people make their debuts. Uh, it was just a very, very, um, you know, interesting game from that perspective where the game turns into a blowout, but you still have to be really engaged because it's some of these guys first college moments, the opportunity to make a play, put something on tape and show that the work that they are putting in behind the scenes can carry over to Saturdays. Outside of, of pointing to the penalties a few times in his post-game press conference, after one penalty for five yards against West Virginia, they were at seven penalties for 55 yards today against Delaware. Uh, aside from that, though, James Franklin sounded about as pleased as you possibly could hear from, from a head coach who as meticulous as he is for this matchup. Then the questions that were posed to him in the post-game press conference in terms of the balance that they were able to achieve and, and getting the 2-0 and doing it in this way and also – with the environment, I mean, I got to give my tip of the cap here. I wasn't as expecting as many people in Beaver Stadium. It was an announced attendance of uh, over 108,000. I don't know what exactly it was in that building, but uh, I mean, it looked a little scant as we were settling in for pregame work, but I think people were probably enjoying themselves, maybe not rushing in. There was a bit more traffic to deal with on a morning. It's less time for people to get to campus. By the time we were kind of at 14 nothing Penn State or even 7 nothing Penn State, though, you did a, a look around the peripheral of Beaver Stadium, and there weren't a lot of spots open, and James Franklin said – there are teams right now fighting and, and uh, scrapping and clawing to fill up their stadiums, especially for matchups like this one. And I think it speaks volumes about how people feel about this current Indy Lions team, what they want to see accomplished, even on a day when it's not a power five opponent. And uh, peeling back the curtain on number 15 at quarterback and, and, and the supplemental pieces all around him. Uh, James Franklin knows he's cooking with fire here. And I think he sees that reflected in the way the community is responding early in the season. There's the one section on the East stands that is part of the student section. And it's the last part that gets filled up as the students come in. And, you know, I think when the game, you know, was close to kickoff, I think when Penn state was entered the field, you know, that section was, was empty, uh, like the upper half of it. And yeah, it was kind of like, okay, like, Oh, we've, we've got like a nice game, you know, nice day, decent crowd. You know, they'll probably be able to announce over a hundred thousand, you know, per usual, everything but you know like you said it was seven nothing 14 nothing you kind of looked up and then you looked around at the student section it was full you know you looked up into the upper deck it was also full it wasn't necessarily the the shoulder to shoulder that you know we saw on uh you know last week against west virginia or that we'll see in in two weeks at the whiteout but you know for penn state to announce 108,575 for a, a penn state delaware game on a noon kick on a day where the weather was, it wasn't the most pleasant feeling this morning out there. It was foggy. It was humid, just kind of damp, you know, not, not ideal. Uh, It just, you know, kind of speaks to what Penn state is first of all, but also just the excitement around this team. And that I think people realize that there is something here that could potentially be special. And it was on an afternoon when they were honoring that 1973 Penn State team that, of course, had the Heisman Trophy winner and John Capilady, the only Heisman Trophy winner in Penn State history, but an unbeaten season that year. 
50 years ago. And, and a lot of those guys were out in the middle of Beaver Stadium leading this crowd in a we are chant with this team that a lot of people think has the capabilities. And, and let's go to this offensive backfield to begin the conversation as we parse our way through what happened on this postgame podcast. I think we've all known about the potential of this backfield. We saw what Nick Singleton and Katron Allen were able to accomplish as freshmen. The buzz around Drew Aller has been unavoidable for the last couple of years. And it was really, you know, an intensified heat of buzz going into late August. We all wanted to see what would happen. 21 of 29 versus West Virginia, three touchdowns, 325 yards, no turnovers. I went through the stats already. I'll read them again. 22 of 26, 204 yards, one touchdown on the ground, one touchdown through the air, and again, no turnovers for Drew Aller, who was replaced by Bo Prabula. We'll talk a little bit about Bo uh, in the third quarter. But, man, the running backs had themselves a day, and and the rushing attack went for over 300. But I came away for the second consecutive week thinking, man, this is just 120 minutes of cumulative football, this guy being the starter. And and I'm just already wondering if if I've seen many better college quarterbacks play in front of me in person. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at what he's done through these first two games. He's completing 78% of his passes. I believe he's 43 of 55. Um, and he's throwing for, I believe, 529 yards. I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me right now. You know, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. That's zero turnovers in, in 12 games now that, that he's played. Um, I don't really think you could ask for a much better start uh, to Drew Aller's, Drew Aller's, you know, career as a starter. And the thing was today is that you just kind of, you, you look down at the stat sheet in the first half and it's like, oh, he's 11 of 12. Right. You know, it, he, he like, it didn't necessarily feel like he was dealing out there, but he was moving the ball. You know, they didn't really take many shots. I think the way that Delaware was playing them was to take away the big plays you know, we saw what they were able to do last week with Keandre Lambert-Smith early on. Um, so Delaware was, I think, kind of content to you know make them work, maybe make Penn State make a mistake uh, to get a break. But you know, Penn State was just really able to march up and down the field. You know, the Their first two touchdown drives in the first quarter combined to take up 11 minutes. And that was just really a tone setter for what they were doing. And a big part of that was the ground game, but Drew Aller was just such a good facilitator. And I think that that's what you want to see from him and from this team where he doesn't need to be Superman. He doesn't need to throw for 300 yards and and three touchdowns. If he can just spread the ball around, make the plays when he needs to, Um, he did take a couple big hits. (laughs) One one was flagged. Another was when he was uh, as a runner. So yeah, there are some things to clean up, but you just come away from watching him play and, and you just see all of it. You know, he's whipping the ball to the, you know, on, on outs, a guy's coming out of his break and the ball is almost there. Um, he can just throw such a pretty ball. You know, he can really throw a rope when he needs to. It's just you know, a lot of fun to watch and he's delivered so far. I think what it sticks with me the most, Daniel, and everything you said is 100% on point. I mean, the way the ball gets there in a hurry and where the placement is on the receiver is, is just at a different level, and you understand that the five-star toolkit that's in place. But it's watching this young man work through his progressions. You know, where his eyes are, are, are focused on off the snap versus where they end up, even if he gets disrupted in the pocket, even if he's throwing off platform, it's pretty remarkable to see him go through that from point A to point B when that ball snapped to where he's releasing the football and do it over and over and over again. And we're going to see him face 
much more much more uh, physically gifted and much more athletic defenders in future matchups. But he's got a Power Five matchup under his belt against West Virginia Week One, um, and, and I was just curious how it would you know bridging the gap from his first start to the second start. This is just another step forward for for Drew Aller in being the leader of this offense, and something that James Franklin uh, answered a question I asked in post game about what it's looking like right now for, for, for Drew as the, the leader of this offense and, and maybe some things we're not seeing. And he just said, look, now it's out there. What, what Drew Al, it's not, an, it's not an idea. It's not just, oh, he did some nice things as a freshman. Look at his prospect profile. Look at his measurements. Now it's, hey, you want to sort through this game film, you'll see a lot of good stuff from number 15. And it's good stuff to Penn State fans. It's awful to see if you are one of these 10 defensive coordinators that the Nittany Lions have coming up on their schedule, starting with Illinois next Saturday. And, and James Franklin says he completely understands that if you're a defensive coordinator for the first two opponents here, especially West Virginia, you want to do everything you can to shut down a Catron Allen, Nick Singleton, take the game out of their hands and put it on the unproven first-time starting quarterback. Regardless of his pedigree as a prospect, you want to see him prove it to you over and over again and we've seen that thus far like it's it's still a relatively small sample size but it's not such a small sample size anymore his teammates are seeing what he's doing that belief and i think that's an area here where we all see the swell of belief in drew and, and the confidence in himself what happens when a team starts to figure out that okay it wasn't just on the practice field this is a dude this is a national type Heisman Trophy type guy down the road. And I don't want to put that on him just yet. But <laughs> if his teammates are seeing all this come together, they're seeing what we're seeing and then then some, I just wonder what that does to the psyche. Because uh, when you have a sporadic quarterback or a QB who's kind of mercurial in the way he plays and the way he performs, maybe the way he leads, that's going to have an impact that uh, whether you realize it or not on your entire roster, specifically on offense. I'm wondering now, when you've got this guy that James Franklin referred to as steady Eddie, the way he is approaching things, what that means, because when you match success with consistency and everyone around you sees that and experiences it, it's just maybe a little bit different right now for Penn State if this sustains. I think the one thing that really signals Drew Aller's ceiling and, and potential from, from that sort of perspective is the way that the defensive players talk about him. The fact that they seem really, really bought in. Uh, talking to Chop Robinson last week when he said that he could tell Drew Aller was QB1 material last year uh, as a as a true freshman on the practice field. And you know, we've heard, you know, from the defensive backs, you know, how difficult it was for them to get their hands on interceptions and to make turnovers and to fluster him. Um, you know, I think that you know, the way that the offensive linemen talk about him, that it really does seem like there's a lot of trust right there. And it really does sound like that, even though Drew Aller wasn't the starter last year and that there wasn't on Saturdays, there wasn't necessarily, you know, they didn't put him in the start, you know, later in the season. You know, he didn't necessarily come in to some games as early as, as we might have seen, but it still really seemed like that behind the scenes, Drew Aller was, you know, laying the groundwork, you know, for him to be in this position and, and to take over. Oh, by building that trust with those linemen, by working on the vocal aspects of the game so that he can be in the huddle and be loud, be at the line of scrimmage and be loud, and even be in the locker room and, and, and speak and, and have his voice carry. So, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of different things that we can look at that really signal to that potential and, and that ceiling. We're seeing a lot of those on the field, but I think that the stuff that we're, that we heard about for a while in terms of the 
more intangible things. I think we're really starting to see that, um, you know, as, as the season goes on, as we're one sixth of the way through it. Yeah. Here on September 9th, uh, but uh, James Franklin did say another interesting thing in that answer about drew. And then I thought kind of shed a little bit more light. He said, you can pat him on the back. You can scream at him and he's still the same guy. And it's tr- you just don't know how quarterbacks going to react to tough coaching, especially when they're the guy and that scrutiny comes with a much bigger spotlight and they're dealing with it in front of their teammates in a way that they've never dealt with scrutiny before. And so, uh, and when you have Mike Yersich as your offensive coordinator and your quarterbacks coach, there's going to be some screaming, as we know from our trips to the practice field. So a lot on Drew Aller, but we've got to continue to look at this backfield because the Nick Singleton, Katron Allen show rolled in, uh, rolled on through week two. And as James Franklin said, defensive coordinators that's got to be your strategy early in the season you know what those two have done can you stop them can you make the quarterback do this and James says now he wants offensive coordinators to be scratching their head when trying to figure out the way to approach this offense and and if you get days like this out of Katron and Nick that's not going to be a problem for this for this team Katron 19 carries 103 yards one touchdown 5.4 average he's been consistently at five plus yards per carry over the course of his career Nick Singleton four yards per carry he had 47 yards on 12 carries but a collection of touchdowns three touchdowns on the day Nick Singleton by the way now has 18 touchdowns in 15 career college games but this ain't about Nick Singleton to start the conversation because James Franklin said it going into the game it was kind of Catron Allen appreciation week here at Penn State for whatever reason James Franklin wanted to make that very clear in his Tuesday press conference our Mark Brennan followed up Wednesday night we, we followed up with some players. There's a lot of love about Catron Allen. He was announced as the starting running back. Nick Singleton was announced as the starting kick returner today. And then we saw him go out there, 19 carries against Delaware. Not sure we saw that coming. His career high is 21 carries. Again, he goes for 103. And we got a chance to talk to him afterwards. And this guy loves carrying the football. But I think more than that, he likes carrying the football and then lowering his shoulder or helmet and knocking a defender to the ground, which he put on display once again. When you talk about those 19 carries in the game, he had 10 in the first quarter. It really, really did seem like a concerted effort to get Katron Allen involved, uh, to put him really in the in the flow of the game. Um, and, and talking to the guys after the teammates uh, after the game, Drew Aller said that Katron Allen is someone who he believes doesn't get enough recognition um, for what he does. But it's clear that he's another guy that within that locker room, really, really has the respect of his teammates. I talked to Jalen Reed for a little bit about Katron Allen and the the phrase that uh, Reed used when talking about Allen's playing style is that he's trying to run through your face, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is something that I, I don't really think I've heard before. Um, and so that's something where he brings that physical edge. Reed said that it helps them. Um, in practice because it, it prepares them to go up against physical backs. They're probably not going to see too many backs who are that physical over the course of the season. Um, but then just talking to Katron Allen himself, I mean, you know, he's seems like he's a very more soft spoken um, type of guy. And what it really came back to is that, you know, he just wants to play football. You know, he is a running back. He wants the ball. They, I think all those running backs want the ball. Um, I'm sure even those freshmen, they look up in the room, you know, they see who they see who else is there. They still want the ball. Um, and but he also understands that, you know, splitting time with Nick Singleton is is beneficial for his career um, and that he and that they can feed off of each other. You know, uh, Katron Allen made it seem like that he and Singleton have a really good rapport in terms of 
telling each other what they're seeing out there. Um, I think that when we've talked to people, we've heard how they've rubbed off on each other a little bit. That Singleton, by playing with Allen and watching him, has kind of developed some of that patience uh, and you know the vision that has really been a trademark of Allen in addition to that physicality. I just think that Allen is just such a unique back because he came in, his nickname was Fat Man, and in your head, you're almost thinking like Brandon Jacobs on those Giants hmm. teams. You're just thinking of you know some big lumbering punisher. Um, but then just watching him, I know that he's had to transform his body. He was down to 201 last year. He's back up, you know, pretty high now. But just how nimble he is, he's you know kind of deceptively shifty almost, and he can just get those extra yards. He's always falling forward, always moving forward, always getting a hole. Um, it's just very, very fun to watch. Um, and like, you know, like James Franklin said, you know, you hope that the people watching are appreciating this because it is pretty rare what he can do, what he was able to do and how he played as a freshman and now kind of continuing to develop and, and put his, his toolkit together now as a sophomore. It's a curious, I'm not sure what people can really do to express appreciation more other than tweet at Catron <laughs> directly. I mean, I think people really respect him as a football player, but people really love Nick Singleton and people really love Drew Aller. And if Keandre Lambert-Smith keeps making plays, people are going to really love him too. So, you know, I, I just wonder what that necessarily means. Uh, and yeah. I, clearly it's, it's, imp it's been important for this Penn State team. Roster management is so different right now because of what the transfer portal does. So, you know, I don't know. I, you're massaging your roster in different ways. You're, you're talking about players publicly in ways that we're not accustomed to. This is a great example, um, but uh, it's just going to be interesting to do. I think it sounds like Catron Allen, the way he's going to feel appreciated the most is, is getting those opportunities <laughs> to carry the football. And I know it's got to be frustrating for either him or Nick Singleton. You know, if you feel good about yourself after a couple strong, you know, series, it's tough to then you know, see everybody else on the offense run out there and and stand alongside Jay Wan Sider and watch him, you know, help call the next series. But that's what you signed up for when you come to campus with Nick Singleton. That's what Nick Singleton signed up for when he came to campus uh, with Katron Allen. I don't think any of that was really left on set because they both showed up ready to get after it in January of 2022. We know what that looked like on the field last year. We see it now. And, I mean, if things go according to plan for Penn State, James Franklin and his staff are going to have, you know, 25-plus more games, 30-plus more games of trying to finesse this thing to the finish line and get these guys off to the NFL together after fantastic careers with the Nittany Lions. And so far, so good. But I just found it, you know, a really interesting new element that pops up. And I wonder if James Franklin might go out of his way to showcase other players in that kind of a way. Because when you look at NIL deals and how they're continuing Contingent upon popularity, maybe, and that's the appreciation. I don't know, but appreciation can look a lot different now in the modern college football world than it did five years ago. So we'll put it there, but I think Nick Singleton, three touchdowns on the day. One of those came after Katron Allen uh, had a touchdown called back, if you recall, and Harrison Wallace was called for a in the back. But Singleton goes for three scores, and then, of course, Trey Potts gets involved late. And he flashes a bit. He had a 20-yard gain. He finished with 59 uh, yards on seven carries, which is actually the second most on the team. Uh, so, man, I, I don't really – we said 2021 Villanova matchup, and, and that was a red flag, <laughs> and they averaged 2.5 yards per carry. 
they just cleared any kind of hurdle you may have been concerned about, Daniel, with this rushing game. 315 yards on the ground today, um, and it just was a group effort. You saw Drew Aller get involved in the run game a little bit. He had a scramble for a first down. He also had a design draw at one point. He had a touchdown run. Bo Perbula came in and did his thing, 30-plus yards rushing. He had another touchdown run. And we'll talk about the offensive line in a moment because they're clearly playing a huge role here. So are the tight ends. But – Again, this was a big part of the day. Get through this game and don't feel like any red flags were raised. You may have had one kind of pop up there with the 66-yard touchdown run. James Franklin pointed to gap accountability. Social media pointed to linebacker Tyler Elsden. We'll find out more about that play, I guess, moving forward. But ultimately, I just don't think you can poke holes in this Penn State performance on defense, on offense. Things are a little left unsettled, I think, on special teams right now. But I just don't know how you come away from this one, like shaking your hand at the sky if you're a Penn State fan, unless you're trying really hard to not enjoy the season. Yeah, I, I think one of my big takeaways from the running game that might factor into a bold prediction for next week is that Nick, Nick Singleton just feels really due at this point. You know, his, his long run today was, was nine yards, which is very un-Singleton-like. Uh, Delaware did a good job of you know, tripping him up um, of, of kind of being there once he got through that first level. Um, and he did have some, you know, he did showcase that same explosiveness. Um, you know, three of those carries were, three of those 12 carries were short touchdown runs. So that's going to eat into the average a little bit there too. But, um, you know, he just feels like we're going to see, like in that Ohio game, like that Auburn game, where he gets out the space, gets out in the space, and he goes. Um, maybe that happens against Illinois. Maybe he saves it for the whiteout against Iowa. I don't know, but I, I think that Nick Singleton is is probably pretty due um, at, <laughs> at some point. But yeah, as a whole, yeah, I really like this running game. Um, it's kind of like what we talked about. You, you didn't have a repeat of the Villanova game. You just really went out and handled your business. You know, you were able to. Um, I think in one of my stories, I wrote that, that, that Penn State really just kind of mowed over Delaware. You know, it was kind of like a steamroller, lawnmower, whatever you want to call it. But it was very methodical. You know, it, it did what it needed to do, and it got down the field into the end zone. Yeah, I'm looking at the drive chart, by the way. And this was kind of a, a crazy thing when we were combing over the, the box score at the end of the game. Again, Delaware scored on the one big play of the game, and it really wasn't able to do much else. Penn State was methodical, long drives. The only touchdown of theirs that went for 10-plus yards was Dominic DeLuca on a 26-yard pick-six return. Offensively, all I'm, I'm counting up the, the touchdowns here. All eight touchdowns uh, came from six yards or less. I, I don't know if that's been done. I mean, I'm sure it has, but that's very strange to see this kind of points get uh, get up on the scoreboard without a, you know a 60 yard reception or an 80 yard touchdown run or something like that. So yeah, Singleton does feel due for one of those. His long was 14 against West Virginia, and it just you can only contain this this guy for so long. And so good luck to Illinois. But just going through the depth uh, through the drive chart in this game the first four possessions for penn state 13 plays for 60 yards that took almost six minutes nine plays for 37 yards that took five minutes nine plays for 75 yards that took more than four minutes nine plays for 73 yards that took more than four minutes and at that point you're up 28 to nothing again i, I just think it's really it, it's it, it just makes you feel optimistic if you're penn state to get this done with the what they're dealing with on the offensive line because if if it had gone awry today i had a feeling we were going to be circling back to that offensive line uh 
and, and it was a strange start because we got the announcement of the, the five guys who were going to be out there as the first teamers, and it proved to be inaccurate. James Franklin told us afterward in the postgame he wasn't sure why that happened or how it happened, but in that initial introduction, Hunter Norzad was missing uh, from the starting lineup, although we were watching him in real time snap the ball to Drew Aller as the team was working through its final pregame preparations. And, 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 and in fact, it would be J.B. Nelson missing from the starting lineup, uh, which – wasn't necessarily that surprising when you think about what happened and what we heard midweek, the flu, the sickness, the bug, whatever you want to call it, that was was this team was dealing with. James Franklin referenced that unsolicited during his Wednesday uh, media session with us while discussing his backup centers. And, and, and we also didn't have J.B. Nelson on the field that day. And we also had an interview after practice canceled with J.B. Nelson that day. So you put two and two together, and Franklin in the postgame says, you, you, know, you get to the end of the game week and all the prep's done. You have the conversation about who the starters are. And if a guy misses a couple of practices, someone else has been present, it basically just sounds like they felt Venga Ioane had earned the opportunity to start in this game. He did. He was the starting left guard. Salim Wormley remained the starting right guard. It was Hunter Norset at center. You had those tackles, Caden Wallace at the right side, and Olu Fashionu on the left. But it, it, there were so many moving parts. It was series by series. You know, we were, we were, you and I were tracking this thing, Daniel. And it was, I, I'll have to see how many consecutive series they had that same five, but it may not have been more than once or twice. It was Drew Shelton popping up at left tackle or at right tackle. It was Venga Ioane going to right guard or left guard. It was Salim Wormley going from left guard or right guard. And then, of course, you had JB Nelson eventually surface and play in this game and play left guard. You had Nick Dawkins play guard and center. Yeah, then eventually you had the freshman pop in. You had J. David Williams and Shimdi Ono playing tackle. You had Anthony Donka uh, playing. You had Dominic Ruley back in there at center. So that's at least, I don't know, 10, 11 names I just threw out there. And they did not really miss a beat. And I think that says a lot about the page that, that Phil Troutwine and Mike Yersis and James Franklin are on right now. They're pressing the right buttons. And this goes back to last year. You just wondered if it would carry over in today to use that many linemen, especially inexperienced guys. We'll have to get a longer look at how it looked for some of those freshmen in the fourth quarter. <laughs> but I know that for the majority of this game, they were in command against an FCS opponent. That's exactly what you want to see from them. All the while, while asking these guys to flip-flop responsibilities from left side to the right side and relying on some inexperienced pieces in a first-time starter in Vega Ioane. Yeah, I think one one quick note on the the drive chart that you just went over. I think when yeah. you see when you see those numbers, sometimes those can be really really difficult drives. I think that in maybe in in 2021 a little bit with Sean Clifford. We saw and near the end of that season, you know, we saw some long drives where it was just kind of like pulling teeth, like you'd get mm-hmm. in the third and long, then something would happen. You know, I think about some of the the late stage Carson Wentz Eagles teams I covered uh, uh, in Philadelphia. I'm they sorry, would, man. I'm sorry you had that experience. <laughs> they, they, they would have these long drives and you'd look at the drive chart and you'd be like, oh, wow, you know, like. 10 plays, 75 yards, you know, seven minutes. Like, wow, this is like a good like ball control team. And then you actually watch it happen. And it was just like pulling teeth, like just kind of uh, like fighting with themselves. And you know, I think that Penn State, you know, everything was just so smooth today. You know, it just was very fluid. Um, and, you know, they rarely got behind the sticks. It was really efficient. If they did get behind the sticks, they did a good job of, of getting that back caveat here it's delaware it's an fcs Mm -hmm. team you know they really had that size advantage um in the trenches and that size advantage in the trenches it really showed all the way through 
kind of no matter who they were putting in there, no matter what combination they were going with, they were still moving the ball. You know, they were still giving Drew Aller so much time back there. Um, he had a really clean pocket. He was able to really go through his progressions. Um, you know, there were a couple times where I felt like he almost had too much time back there, <laughs> um, where I think in, in everyone's head, the clock is going off that, okay, you got to do something. Um, so I was just really, really impressed with the performance of the line today. Um, you know, they were able to exert themselves, uh, uh, over this Delaware front. Um, you know, the pregame stuff was, was kind of funny because, uh, you know, the skill positions like running back wide receiver tight end, um, and similarly on, on the defense on some of the back end stuff with linebackers and defensive backs, you know, that all right, like it's kind of a guideline. You don't know what package they're going to open up with. You don't know if they're going to come out with three wide receivers or two tight ends or defensively in nickel or dime. It's it's all situational. But, you know, mostly like some of those other spots, like the quarterback the and the offensive line, like you don't really you don't really have a package for for either of those. So, you know, I think we all thought Venga Ioane was... We're you know, trying the, to find the center of the five. Yeah, he yeah, was potentially we, starting at center. <laughs> Um, which would have been a real wrinkle for us, even though Phil Troutwine said that that's something that they've been doing and they want to see. Um, but, you know, I do think it was good to see Hunter Norzad out there um, despite his, his bumps and bruises. And I think that they did a really good job of getting him out early. Um, you know, we, we know that Olu is, you know, on a plan and they got an early hook on him, which is what you want to see. Um, and that was really good for someone like Drew Shelton. Uh, to get a lot of run at left tackle. So I think that they played it really well. I'm you know, looking forward to watching the game back and you know charting out that first uh, first group out um, for for every drive and, and seeing which combinations we saw um, and and how those groups performed. Um, it was, I think, just a really, really good job by Phil Troutwine, by Mike Yersich, by James Franklin. Get guys on the field, get them experience and have them in a position to succeed. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. You mentioned, hey, it's it's an FCS team. We have to yeah, keep that at the foreground here with, with the way we're analyzing it. But we can only talk about what's in front of our face. And this is mm-hmm. the game they just played. And you, and you look around college football and, uh, you know, Youngstown State Penguins uh, you know, go up to Columbus. They lose 35-7 to today. The Buckeyes scored seven points after halftime in that game. Austin P, the Governors, uh, they're down in Knoxville today. It was six to six late in the first half. It's currently twenty to six. Uh, Tennessee is leading about halfway through the third quarter. Those are FCS opponents. What we saw today was a big yawner uh, in terms of uh, drama, and that's exactly what you were looking for. You didn't want the nation paying attention to this game. You didn't want them trying to. You didn't want everybody else trying to figure out how to access Peacock, to tune in because you were on upset alert, and that didn't need to happen today. Uh, and and, and you know, f- by the way, Omari Evans is another guy that we were watching from from a bumps and bruises standpoint. 
he, he was in the pregame warmups last week, did not play last week. James Franklin told us on Wednesday it was still a little too early to know if he would be available. He did play today, didn't show up until the second half, but he actually ended up in the end zone. One of those seven Nittany Lions to score a touchdown, a four-yard pass from Bo Prabula. We'll get back to Bo in, in, in just a bit, but I want to talk about some players who did miss the game, Daniel Gallon, because it was the same defensive trio of veterans that you know, kind of surprised a lot of us going into that West Virginia matchup. They were not on the field once again. They were not involved, I should say, in the game. We spotted them you know, in street clothes. But you had Daquan Hardy at cornerback. You have Koziah Izzard at defensive tackle and Amin Vanover at defensive end. Again, Izzard, Hardy, starting material. You're looking at Vanover, probably starting material on a lot of teams across this conference. But on this particular one, he's going to be a two deep for you at defensive end. We're through 120 minutes of football. These guys have not been in pads for any of it. And you know, it hasn't really been much of a blip. But then we start to turn our attention to Big Ten. And, and you, it's really going to be at the forefront of focus, I think, this week, Daniel. James Franklin was able to kind of tiptoe around it a little bit because of the matchup, I think, this past week. But I think it's going to be kind of something that us in the media are going to hammer away a bit on the status of these three guys. We may not get answers to it, and, and we more than likely won't get a bunch of clarity before kickoff against Illinois. But now we're entering the stretch of the schedule with the trip to Illinois, a visit from Iowa for the whiteout where you want all hands on deck. You want the 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 the, the, the fellows that you went into preseason camp with. You want them on your on 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 the field and ready to roll. And we just don't know for whatever reason. It could be three different reasons, of course why these guys are not yet involved. Yeah, I, you know, I think that this kind of surprised us, I think, last week. And then coming into this week, uh, you know, the matchup, you know, kind of did make it seem like, you know, all right, like we want answers, but it's Delaware. You know, it's not not the most pressing thing. You know, if and you what wanna... we saw practice on Wednesday. I mean, we talked about yeah. that on the pregame show back on Thursday, but our, nothing that we saw on practice Wednesday indicated that any of these three were definitely going to play. Although we saw each, you know, we saw two of them out there, and, and Hardy and, and and Vanover out there, and Pads participating. The, the dynamic of their practice involvement didn't lend a lot of optimism. Yeah, and but now it gets a little bit, you know, a little bit magnified. Like the the touchdown run by Delaware today. I think the way that that play unfolded, you know, what we saw, what James Franklin said probably wouldn't have mattered if you had a, a bigger body. I forget which DTs were on the field, but Kaziah Izzard isn't stopping that play. And Amin Vanover probably isn't either, just based on the the mechanics of it. Um, but, you know, I do think that it, you know, these absences, it's if you want to look at the silver lining, you got, you know, a more variety of personnel in there, even more uh, than you did, you know, with just blowing out a team like Delaware. I think Zariah Fisher got a ton of run you know he's in that number four spot uh at the defensive end with vanover out um you know we saw jordan vandenberg i think take a healthy complement of snaps and then you know, on the back end I, you know, without daquan hardy there's the one of the more interesting chain reactions i think with you know moving johnny dixon inside putting cam miller outside and then jalen reed takes a knock um in the first half he leaves the game he said he's fine he says he doesn't talk about injuries but He's going to play next week at Illinois. Um, he had some some good candor pregame. Um, and then King Mack comes in and is playing in a slot kind of safety uh, role, up, you know, nickel role up up near the line of scrimmage. So, you know, that's someone else who had the opportunity to step up as kind of this chain reaction. Um, you know, it, it's kind of tough to look for silver linings when you're thinking about stopping Illinois, stopping Iowa. <laughs> um, but, you know, with where we are right now, 
I think that it's a sort of a, a proceed with caution type thing where, you know, let's try to get answers that we probably won't get. Um, but it does feel like that the infrastructure is in place that if any of these guys are missing, you know, as you get a little bit deeper into the season, Penn State has guys with experience who can step in and they have a plan um, on how to alter these rotations, alter these personnel groupings to still have talent on the field. And while we saw one wide receiver return to game action after missing week one, Omari Evans, we saw one not in game action after being involved in game one. And that team captain as well, Malik Mega, special team captain, but a guy who's, you know, in that in that group of wide receivers that James Franklin has often referenced beyond the starters. Uh, he didn't have an opportunity to play today. We're not exactly sure why, but he was listed as out before the game, uh, out there with the team, though, of course, and, and in his captaincy role, uh, despite not being in pads. And, and Daniel, uh, let's Let's go to the freshmen. I mean, you just mentioned a few of them. You had King Mack and Elliot Washington and uh, Zion Tracy contributing on special teams and playing on defense. And uh, we didn't see the running backs. That was those were two guys. You know, <laughs> we, we spent a bunch of time on the pregame oh. show talking about London Montgomery and and and, uh, and also Cam Wallace and trying to call our shots for some big moments from them in the fourth quarter. Uh, <laughs> they went the they went with the veteran walk on route, which I can respect. Uh, you know, we I, I forgot about Tank Smith. That's on me. <laughs> That's, and that's Tyler Holdsworth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have to wear that six one. Carries, six carries for 29, and, and, and Holdsworth get three carries for four. And maybe this is a very strong indication that we're training towards our first red shirt at the running back position with Jay Wan Sider as the running back's coach here. He's been around here since 2018, and he has had a variety of freshmen come through, and none of them have taken a red shirt in their first year on campus. And there's some years where we thought it would be impossible to keep guys red shirted, and there's some years that we knew guys weren't going to get red shirted. Right now you trend towards saying, how are you going to get these guys involved? Katron Allen, Nick Singleton, Trey Potts, of course, now is your RB3. Um, that's probably my biggest takeaway from not seeing him. You're a little disappointed you didn't get to, to see it because either of those could do something special with one touch, and, and I would have loved to have seen them take on Delaware's defense a bit today. Not sure when we'll get to see them next. But I think it also says uh, they're not interested in tacking them with a game right now. And, and whether that means those guys aren't ready in the eyes of the staff, I don't, I don't know if it's that. Or if it's, hey, we want them a little bit – we want to, there to be some cushion between them and that four-game threshold. Because this is a violent position, and you never know. Maybe there's a week where one of these guys has to be your RB3 or RB2, and or maybe there's a stretch of time, and you can still pull that off without burning their red shirt because you didn't play them here at the end of the Delaware game. I don't know the details there, but I, I think that was something that was interesting because we did see a guy like Andrew Rapelier come out and play some tight end. We saw Chimdi Ono, who's very raw at the tackle position, get a chance to, to go out there and take some some snaps. And Tamir Robinson, Kavion Keys out there at linebacker. But really, I don't know if anyone flashed as much as Jamil Lyons. I mean, people are going to start to get to know him a little bit more, you know, tie that into a little bit of I mean Vanover's extended absence. But Jamil Lyons played a lot of football in the second half. A big indication from week one was that Penn State has zero uh, in, uh, zero plans to burn to, to save his red shirt because he played one defensive snap on the last play of the game. So uh, he may not have been announced as a green light coming out of preseason camp, but I think that says the story. And in this game, I'll be curious what the snap count looks like as he was out there for an extended action, came up with a sack, uh, another pressure. And, and, and Daniel, he's just somebody I think as we work our way towards some of those bigger marquee matchups on the calendar – he could really be a specialized weapon for this defense where you can play him eight to 10 snaps in a game if they're in the right circumstance, you know, passing down. If he proves that he's up for the task, 
he could come up with a big play in the backfield, force a fumble out of the quarterback's hand. He has that kind of quickness, Ben, and, and what you hear about him going back to the first few practices, and I heard it again after this game from Zane Durant, natural. Everything is natural with him, and you've got a lot of blue-chip talent on this campus, but not everything's natural for guys, especially when they're a freshman. He, he delivered maybe the biggest hit of the game uh, for from, from the Penn State end. I mean, he really, really laid the wood on a Delaware player. And I think that that kind of got everyone's attention. It's the thing where it's late in the game. It's getting kind of sleepy. Um, you know, we're in the press box. Everyone's kind of, you know, finishing up stories, focusing on the, <laughs> the laptop more than more than the game. And then you kind of look up, you know, you hear it, you see it, you hear the reaction. And um, it was, it was quite the lick. So, uh, he's 6'5", 246. You know, there's obviously a lot of room for him to develop, but I think the fact that he's at this point after being around for such you know little time, I think that that just bodes so well um, for what he's able to do. You, you know, we've talked about it with uh, the the pass rushers. I mean, that's just such a position that you can never have too many of them. Manny Diaz is really willing to get creative to move guys around with different packages. Uh, different roles. Um, you know, I do think that he is someone that it would be, you know, you put him out there with that length uh, and athleticism. If you can put him out there opposite a Chop Robinson or deny Dennis Sutton, um, I think that that could create you know, some interesting matchups for, for opposing teams. So uh, he's someone that coming into the game, you know, I did have my eye on, you know, we, we'd heard that he was going to get run. We saw him for that one snap, uh, which was, was a bit of a signal. You know, to see him get that long run, you have to assume that he comes out of this with confidence, uh, which is huge for a young player in this type of situation, especially when you're looking up at a very, very solid top three of probably all future NFL guys. And then, you know, two other guys who have played a, a decent amount of football in Amin Vanover and Zariah Fisher. So for Lions to have that confidence to you know, kind of acquit himself well. I think that bodes really, really well for that room. I asked Dion Barnes uh, about three quarters of the way through August what Jamil Lyons has done to put himself in a good spot, and, and Dion smiled. You know, former Philly guy himself, former edge rusher. He just said he's worked his ass off. You know that that that's how he led the answer, and he didn't have too much more to say than that. But. Jamil Lyons has earned a spot in the field, and if he keeps showing up like that, he's going to earn more opportunities out there to contribute. Let's go to a redshirt freshman and 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 Bo Prabula, you know, a guy that that took some national headlines because of when he scored his first touchdown at the college level against West Virginia. He threw for one. He rushed for one today. He, he had uh, he picked up where he left off his first series of the the matchup this Saturday afternoon. Finished with him running into the end zone for a touchdown. And as I mentioned, later found Omari Evans for a four-yard score. What do you make of Bo Prabula, who had 46 yards rushing on eight carries and a touchdown? Got to play a little more of a standard quarterback position at times today. But clearly the physical gifts are what stand out with Bo right now in year two. And more than that, what do you make of what James Franklin had to say? Because he put a little bit out there uh, for the future defensive coordinators on the schedule as well. Yeah, the one thing that I said that I really wanted to see from Prabula coming into this game is to see him in the game flow to do a drive that's not the six-minute or four-minute offense where he's really burning clock. And I think in, when he got in, he was really able to show what he can do with his legs and a little bit with his arms. Um, you know, I think that the speed is real. You know, The way that he kind of turned the corner and accelerated. Um, and we've talked, you know, the McSorley comparisons – 
in terms of being able to run, being athletic. Um, you know, those are those are true. But I think when you see someone with Prabula's build turning that corner, you know, six to you know, two hundred five pounds in that area. I mean, he looks like a runner. Um, and he really runs with some authority and some power, I think. So I thought that that was really, really nice to see. Um, and I think his legs are going to be something that are going to give other defensive coordinators something to think about. You know, we know that James Franklin doesn't like to give away tactical things or scheme things no matter what. You know, but the fact that he's floating that, uh, I do think it's something that we're going to see at some point, whether that's at Illinois or in the whiteout against Iowa. You know, you know, part of me is a little bit surprised that these first two weeks we didn't see a play with Prevula out there, um, you know, maybe just to get uh, opposing defensive coordinators thinking just a little bit. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I think that we'll probably be able to have some longer conversations uh, about a potential, you know, using him as a change of pace quarterback, you know, potentially putting both quarterbacks onto the field. I have some thoughts about it. Um, but you know, I think that, you know, if Penn state is committing to it, I think that that's kind of what you have to do. And it does sound like that they're gearing up to committing to something with Prabula um, because they, they like what he can do. I think that he's shown so far that he belongs. We'll see what that looks like. If it's, you know, even Illinois defense, Iowa's defense and then later into the year some of the other units um but you know I do think that James Franklin is you know he knows that this season is a marathon you know it's a long season um you know you you have to play chess a little bit you have to move your pieces a little bit to set up some things later on um you know in a on a more micro level you know Penn State has really put that middle screen on tape uh, a Mm. couple times we saw it twice you know didn't work once with Liam Clifford today worked with Theo Johnson another time. I don't think we saw that at all last year. You know, so what is going to get set up off of that? You know, so from, you know, in the bigger picture, what is going to get set up, you know, from these comments about Bo Prabula from putting this out there, what's kind of the the end goal of this? I'm really really curious to see that. And meanwhile, freshman Jackson Smolik got a couple snaps in this game. His first college appearance, true freshman, uh, enrolled back in January. He'll be traveling with this team as QB3 out to Illinois. Uh, and then uh, you mentioned uh, the, the Liam Clifford uh, being the target on one of those screenplays. It didn't work out so well. Uh, but but he did get the start. He was announced as a starter in week one. He did not actually get the official start. This time he wasn't announced. And he got the official start. Him, Venga Ioane, uh, they were the first-time starters for this Penn State team. And just kind of surveying what that wide receiver group did really what those pass targets did because we spent so much time talking about the, the ground game and, and and drew aller who threw all those passes but yet keandre lambert smith uh pacing the way again with 74 receiving yards on six receptions uh tyler warren uh, not the most efficient day 37 yards on six catches but uh one of those was a six yard touchdown reception uh and then you had theo johnson two catches for 14 yards uh, tight end involvement was up a bit more those guys weren't really on the field deep into the game Harrison Wallace uh three catches for 26 yards Dante Cephas two catches for 36 yards uh and and then working our way down Liam Clifford two catches for two yards I know he lost three on one reception uh and Christian Driver I missed that one Daniel it was probably you know what when there was a scramble of a roster in the Mm -hmm. second half uh he comes up with a catch for eight yards 
Malik McLean, one catch for seven yards. So kind of a quiet day after a very loud week around uh, Malik McLean. And as we said, Evans with that four-yard touchdown catch. So good on uh, Christian Driver, who played cornerback last year. He's the son of a former Pro Bowl receiver that you know well, and Donald Driver. And, and of course, James Franklin was his receiver's coach for one year up in Green Bay. And now here's his son, Christian Driver, uh, showing up in the stat sheet as a receiver with the Nittany Lions as a redshirt freshman. I don't think we got to spend too much time. That receiver group carried the load in a huge way in week one. It wasn't the case today, and that's a healthy sign of where things are for this offense right now. Tight ends had a bit of an uptake, uptick. The rushing game really went off, and then you had Drew Aller just steady Eddie, as James Franklin said. Let's finish with some game balls. Uh, Daniel, we'll work our way through. I don't think we need to spend too much time on offense. You went with a, a co-award for Nick and, and Katron, if I recall correctly, so we can skip over that one. That was our first podcast. Uh, your defensive game ball is a little bit trickier when, when your leader has four tackles on the day. Yeah, I, I went with Abdul Carter for the first defensive game ball. Um, you know, he had a pretty quiet game uh, against West Virginia. You, you watch the when I watched the game back, there are a lot of plays where he was in the neighborhood, but not really there. Um, I thought that he came out today, looked more assertive, um, you know, looked more like himself. Uh, and it put him in position uh, to to make some of these plays. Um, let's see, four tackles, three solo, and a quarterback hurry. Um, you know, he looked disruptive. I thought he was moving with a little bit more violence out there. Um, and that's obviously so key for this Penn State defense. Yeah, I thought Zane Durant, by the way, had a, had himself a good day. And you want to see that against uh, against an FCS uh, offensive line. But I thought he, he really looked the part in a way we haven't seen with that with that extended snaps on his plate. Again, kind of a role player last year, situational interior pass rusher as a freshman, now going 30-plus snaps in week one. I'm not sure where he was at today, but I thought it, he showed through well today. Um, and, and by the way, the first takeaway of the year comes from that safety unit, uh, forced fumble off of Keaton Ellis, recovered by K.J. Winston, and then uh, not too long after that, you got Don DeLuca coming up with the pick six, which uh, was, was was really a nice moment for him. As Keaton Ellis said, you don't get two opportunities to intercept passes in games often. DeLuca had one go off his hands earlier in the matchup, and then not that time. He, he vacuumed it up, raced to the end zone, and, and there's just three years on campus as a walk-on. This guy's been named the team captain. He's been put on scholarship. He's gotten that number zero jersey. Now he's got a pick six in front of 108,000. I don't know if that many were left in Beaver Stadium at that point, but <laughs> – it's just really cool to see him writing the story, and he's only barely into his redshirt sophomore year, so really good stuff. Daniel, special teams. Uh, I guess it's a good thing that we went 50 minutes and didn't talk about <laughs> special teams, uh, but uh, Alex Falcons was the guy who got the nod, and, and we were keeping a close eye on this group during pregame warm-ups. I guess the caveat here is Falcons, what did he get? Seven out of the, or eight out of the nine extra point attempts today. Sehedak got one, um, but we didn't see any field goal attempts. So we're still kind of left with a mystery there. And now you're on the road for a Big Ten game next week, and that'll be a little bit more pressure on that situation. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it bodes well that we were able to give out a special teams game ball uh, this <laughs> this week because you know, sometimes you, you get to it and you're kind of like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. Um, but you know, Alex Falcons got, you know, he was announced as the starter. He was out there for the, all the field, all the extra points in the first half. You know, I do, you know, I do think that you would have liked to see him attempt a field goal out there, but at the same time, I think that this is the type of game where you really, really emphasize with your team, kind of your mentality. You know, they went for it on a fourth down, I think, in field goal range at least once. 
Um, they were three for three at the end of the day on fourth down. Yeah, and I, I think that that's kind of what you want your team to think about, you know, to take away from this that, you know, you're going to keep the pedal down, you know, even in a 56 point win. Um, but I thought that putting Falcons out there and, you know, it, we've seen it in the past with some Penn State kickers who were here recently, extra points aren't given. So, you know, for him to go out and have so many chances and to make all of them, I think you take that as a positive. Sahadak did have the one, um, Interesting timing as the first extra point um, of the second half. Um, and then Falcons came back for the rest of them. Well, 63 to 7, Penn State wins it. Uh, we just spent a lot of time breaking down how it happened and some of the more interesting components of a game like this. It's not always about the, the final score, it's a lot about what you can see on that field from the roster. And Penn State, a lot of good stuff on display today, improving to 2-0. Again, 11 a.m. is the local kickoff next week against Illinois. And Illinois, not looking all that great. So we'll, we'll, we'll break down them a bit more going into this upcoming. Jeremy Werner on the show uh, who covers Illinois for 24-7 Sports uh, on Tuesday. But Monday, we're back to take another look. We'll have Mark Brennan on the podcast. And uh, we'll get a chance between now and then to go through game snaps, uh, to go through a report card and all the different stuff that we do. We have a bunch of stories coming at lines 24 seven deal with all the conversations we had. Um, we're fresh out of Beaver stadium on the post game podcast. So those Monday episodes are a little more informed as we review the most recent matchup. So we'll do that again, four episodes a week here on the lines 24 seven podcast. Daniel been fun, been a long day. Uh, we got going in the morning and now here we are uh, right around eight 15 in the evening, wrapping up. Appreciate you, man. Thanks Tyler. All right, we'll be back with another Alliance 24-7 podcast on Monday, as I said, and a lot more coming your way next week leading up to the 2023 Big Ten opener. On behalf of our entire crew at Lions247.com, we'll talk to you real soon right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.